Hey, I'll give you a discount. Okay, no, I'm just kidding you. Um, it's uh, it's fifteen dollars. It's a uh, about a man who was a, an Episcopal priest for fifteen years and got saved and got filled with the Holy Spirit. So the name of the book is The Recycled Pharisee: How God Changed the Heart of a One-Time Jerk. It's a good book. Okay, okay, great book. Okay, it'll bless you. Um, I'm excited about being here. I, I really, we, we didn't even get into this much this morning, but uh, about four years ago, I met Ray in Lima, Peru. Um, I used to be um, the overseer of the Latin America area of, of the vineyards. And, and about a year after that, three years ago, I met Adam also in Lima, where we shared together in a conference or um, uh, retreat for the vineyard churches, and uh, I was his interrupter, interpreter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and we had a great, great time, really great time, and it really felt like God bonded our hearts immediately when we were there. So I'm really blessed. Uh, about four years, three years ago, Adam extended the invitation for me to come, and finally, after three years, I got to be here. So, how many of you are hungry this morning? Boy, your excitement just overwhelms me this morning. It's really, okay. I'm used to Latinos. Okay. How many of you are hungry this morning? Yeah? Okay. That's good. That's good. All right. I'm going to do something I didn't do the first service. Uh, so if some of you are back for a repeat of the first message, you're not going to get it. I'm going to share on something else. Okay. So I want you to open the Bible up with me to Leviticus. Can anything be good in Leviticus? Yes. Okay, chapter 6. And we're going to read a, a couple of verses there. While we're getting there, let me let me tell you a little bit about what's happening in Chile, okay? I don't take a whole lot of time because I really want to get into this word this morning. But uh, last night we were sharing around the table at Adam's house uh, with a couple uh, people. And one of the things that uh, just... I was sharing a very intimate thing about, uh, I think it was in 2009, December of 2009, uh, two Bolivian pastors called me from La Paz, Bolivia. And they said, we don't know any pastors in Santiago. Your name's been given to us as a reference. And we have a man of God in Bolivia who's uh, a black North American pastor and he says, as a word, he had a vision for, for Chile. And uh, we're calling you because we need somebody to connect with him. And I'm going like, eh, okay, this is like on Friday. So I asked this question, like, when is he coming? Monday. He already has his ticket. I'm like, oh, pressure. Where is he going to stay? At your house. How long is he going to stay? A week. And uh, what does he want me to do? He wants you to gather all the pastors you can and get on the radio and television because he's got a word of God. I'm going, oh, this is crazy. And uh, I said, money, I can't. We got to have a holiday. And my, my, I promised my family with this long story short. I said, I can't. I can't. I can't. And I said, I don't know the guy. I don't know, you know, the fruit or the tree. And, but I have a friend up in the north. He might be able to take him. The long version, or the short version of the long story is that he came, and his prophetic word was this. He said, God uh, is giving me a word. And he says, a sign of this word is this going to be a terrible earthquake in Chile. And he said, I saw it in an open vision, and when I saw it, I turned my back. It was so devastating. And and I, when I turned my back, God spoke to me. He said, no, turn around again. I want you to see what's going to happen. And he says, out of the rubble of the earthquake, I saw hands of uh, sons and daughters of God being raised up. And God was putting olive branches in their hands. And then the Lord said, as surely as the earthquake is coming, I'm seeing the greatest revival this nation has ever known. And two months after that, after he released the word in Chile, the earthquake came. And my first thought was, oh, my God, I didn't receive the guy. Uh, God is a forgiving God. And uh, 
And right after that, there were all kinds of prophets that came and were speaking judgment over. This is the judgment. The church hasn't been praying. This country's in sin and all this stuff. And this black pastor came back again uh, about four months after the earthquake. It was one of the most devastating earthquakes. It's the second uh, most devastating earthquake in history in the world. The first one was also in Chile. 1960s. And so he came back, he says, to, to clear the record, he said the prophecy of the earthquake was nothing to do with judgment. It was a sign to confirm what's coming, a move of God such as never been seen before. And as he was speaking to a crowd of about 2,000 people, because after he gave the prophetic word and it, and it was confirmed, everybody wanted to hear it then. And he says, and as a sign, again, that this move of God is coming, something is about to happen in Chile that's going to draw the attention of the entire world. The eyes of all the world is going to be on Chile. This was in August. And one month later, we had the rescue of the miners in Chile that probably most of you saw. More than one billion people saw that. And since that time, there's just, I can't explain this, not a real revival yet, but there are fires being lit all over the place. And the majority of those fires are with young people, and especially with junior hires. It used to be when I was a pastor, if you wanted to punish somebody, you'd go send them to work with a junior high. It was like... You know, the, the board group, the long face and all that stuff. But they're so incredibly hungry for God and just gone after it with everything. So I'm going to ask you to join with me in praying for Chile because we are on the brink. Not only in Chile, there's a long time ago, a prophetic word that I've embraced in my heart about Latin America that there's a southern wind blowing towards the north. Hello. And I believe that the revival fires that are beginning to brew in Latin America are going to be blowing to the north. So don't wait on it to get here. Come down and see us. All right? All right? That's an invitation. Leviticus 6. Huh? God pays. Yeah, he does a great job. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> you got the wrong version of it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we have a saying in Chile, if, if I invite you to lunch, like say, I invite you, the person that invites pays. It's just part of a culture. So whenever God invites you to do something, he pays. That's a good word. It's a good word. Okay. Leviticus 6, 8. I've been privileged in my life to be in, in the right places, I guess, at the right time. Uh, in Toronto and several other places where there have been genuine revivals. Uh, the very first uh, 10 days I was in Chile, I went as a short-term missionary to preach in the northern part of Chile and to make that story that's very long short. And after five days, they asked me to be in a, to preach in a high school of about 600 students. And uh, the, the last day I was there, I began asking God these dangerous questions like, once we go, who's going to take care of all these young people that are getting saved? More than half of the high school had been come, born again. And like, who's going to disciple them? And every time I'd ask that question, I hear God say, you, you, don't ever ask those questions unless you really mean it. And, and so, the, the, the long story short there is I decided, I prayed, and, and God just confirmed in my heart, I want you to stay. I want you to stay. So I didn't go back to the States with the rest of the team. And I stayed. The day I went with the team, 
from the U.S. to go to the airport five hours away and left the high school. It was on a Monday morning. That morning, without me being there in the school, revival broke out. And they couldn't hold classes for two days, two whole days. Uh, the, the teachers, the, the principal were reduced to melted in God's presence. Um, no one was leading it. They just met on Monday morning um, to have um, a t- a, what they salute the flag, sing the national hymn. And when they did that, the national hymn has something to do with God in that. They went back to their classrooms, and those that had been saved began worshiping. This is spontaneous. Nobody was leading this in every classroom. And the Holy Spirit came down, and those that hadn't received Christ began weeping. And they were asking the kids that had been saved, what do I do? How do I get this? And um, that just just tore everything apart. Um, I've been, there have been times in my church, or the churches I pastored, where God has visited us. When, When there have been times of, Maybe a couple months where just anything and everything would happen. But I've never been in something that was sustained over a long time. And recently, in the last year and a half or two years, it's been my prayers. God, you know, thank you for the visitations. Thank you for the experiences, seeing the miracles and all that. But I want it all, and I, I don't want to waste what you've given me. I don't want to waste it on just having a great time with you. And this has led me to study something that I just heard this verse spoken, what I'm going to read you now. And it's led me just to kind of get into it a little bit. So I guess the, the question is, is this, how do you sustain fire of God in your life. How do you sustain it? Because God lights it, but it's our responsible responsibility to keep it going. Does this speak to anybody or not? Two or three? Okay, great. With that, we'll go. All right. The Lord said to Moses, give Aaron and his sons this commission, this command. These are the regulations of the burnt offerings. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. That's a repeated phrase about four times. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. The priest shall then put on his linen clothes and with linen undergarments next to his body and shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he is to take off these clothes and put on others and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat on the fellowship offering, offerings on it. And the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Okay. They're like three things I see this in this. One is that Gaia, he's the one that ignites the fire. And how do you know you have fire from God? There's a lot of things, but one of it's called passion. And passion is not an emotion. It's an obsession. It's an obsession to be with God. It's an absolute obsession. It's something in the morning, in the evening, in the midday, you're just obsessed with being with him. I won't get onto all that, but the, the real question is this. How do you keep fire burning? Because I'm imagining that everybody sitting here knowing this church and sensing what I'm sensing in this church has been burned a little bit by God in a good sense. You've caught some of his fire. 
but probably most of you are like me, like, where did it go? And why did it go? And how, how, how does this thing keep going in me? And one of, the, one of the keys here is the very first thing it says about the priests, their responsibility is to keep an offering on the altar. And the, there's all kinds of homiletical explanations about offerings, the offering of praise, offering of thanksgiving, the offering of hospitality. That's in Hebrews 13, 17, I believe talks about those kind of offerings that are pleasing to God. But I believe the basic one is this. It's offering your life, your life. It's being an offering to God. It's not giving a little of this and then, you know, just, well, he's an added part. He's an alternative in my life. It's everything or it's nothing. I'm being an offering Basically, uh, we could go a long time into that, but it's just being willing and available to him. Basically, Jesus has two commandments, and it's very simple. The first commandment is come. The second one is go. has to be both. Most of us are familiar with the one about coming. Come to me. But to maintain a fire in your life, you have to submit to going. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit is speaking so much to the church about is that church is not within the four walls. You are the church. And if you want to see what you've never seen before, you have to be willing to do what you've never done before. Hello? If you want to see what you've never seen before, you have to be willing to do what you've never done before. And that means being an offering. When you leave here today, when you go to the restaurant after lunch, or after the service, or when you're at work, it's being an offering. I said this this morning that when I was about five years old, my dad had a pickup truck that didn't have a muffler on it. I loved it. <clears throat> so it was, it was neat to ride around in the, the truck with my dad, but even more than riding around in the truck, just being with my dad. And every time you'd open the door of the pickup truck on a weekend, you know, my first impulse, I just ran out, you know, excited. It didn't make any of his summer, winter time. And I would ask him excitingly, hey, dad, you know, where you gone? And the next question was, can I go? Can I go? And I think, and I believe with all my heart that to be an offering, he seeks childlike faith. Where we ask those very two simple questions, dad, where you gone today? It's not, here's my list of things to do, Father. Now go with me, accompany me. It's totally the, the opposite. It's like, where are you going? Can I go? One of the things I shared about the first service is that when we begin to avail ourselves, because a lot of people are, are willing, yeah. oh God, you know, wherever you send me, yeah, here am I. You know, the altar call and all this stuff during worship. Yeah, God, here I am. But to avail myself. God just messes up your agenda. He always asks you to do things that are at the most inconvenient times. Have you ever discovered that? It's like, now, God, this? But I don't have time. I don't know if you struggle with that, but I do constantly, constantly. Uh, not too long ago, I was in Costa Rica, and I went with a vineyard overseer of Colombia. And uh, he wouldn't like me to tell this about him, but we, we spent the first night in a hotel in Miami, and 
he's the worst guy I've ever been that snores. I mean, terrible, terrible snoring. And it didn't make any difference what position he was in. I finally literally went into the bathroom, got in the tub, closed the door, put pillows all around me, and still couldn't sleep at night. It was horrible. So I slept maybe an hour during the whole night. And then next morning, we had a really early flight out to Costa Rica from from Miami. And I was, you know, just, I, I went to the desk of American. I said, please give me a seat all by myself. I didn't sleep last night. So they gave me a, a really fantastic seat. And I, I'm usually very selfish. God, nobody, get, nobody sit beside me because I just need a rest. So they're closing the doors. I get the seat all by myself. And they're announcing they're ready to take off. And, and all at once, this young woman comes up to me and says, is this seat saved? wonderful. And she looks at me and she starts talking and she says, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. I've always wanted to speak to a pastor. So it was like three hours of conversation the whole time. And she did finally meet the Lord. Okay. It was a great thing. But I don't know about you, but anytime we avail ourselves my wife and I, as of about a year and a half, we're praying this. God, Father, where are you gone today? Can we go? And uh, I have this favorite place that's like two blocks from my house. It's called the bakery. In Chile, we have this incredible bread. They bake it fresh in the morning and afternoon. Everybody goes to the bakery instead of supermarkets for their bread. And uh, right next to that, there's a hardware store. So one morning, my my wife asked me to go buy a little, a little can of paint. So I went to the hardware store. And you're, you're willing, trying to be available, keeping your antennas up, being an offering to God. And I'm watching this clerk, and he's just constantly gone. And he comes up and said, can I help you? I said, what happened? I said, I was in a car accident on the passenger side. The car is history now. And I got this terrible pain. He goes on and on and on. He says, and the boss, he's so mean. He's, he didn't let me have a day off. And so I just looked at him and said, okay, can I have your hands? And he stretches out. And I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. He looks at me like in shock. Reaches in his like uh, little pocket. And he pulls out a New Testament. He says, can you believe somebody just gave this to me today? So we talk a little bit more, and I leave. I buy the paint. In the afternoon, I'm going to my favorite store, the bakery. And I didn't even go in the hardware store. But he saw me coming, so he goes out on the streets. I go past him, and all at once he goes like this, Hey! And he goes, If you want to see what you've never seen before, you have to be willing to do what you've never done before. God is going to absolutely blow your doors off when you avail yourself as an offering. Oh, gosh. I was telling a couple of stories this morning. Our young people and adults, but young people, they're going bananas, wild, praying for anything that walks. Just uh, the Sunday before I came, or two Sundays before I came to the States, uh, a couple of young people were in the subway and they saw a blind man. It's always there. He's always begging for money. Everybody knows him. And they said, hey, how about going to church with us this morning? It's only three blocks away. So he said, yes. In the middle of the worship service like today, the presence of God is very strong. Sometimes we become too familiar with that. But he was just melted. And he didn't know how many people are around him, never been in church. So he just starts sobbing and confessing his sins. Oh, God, forgive me. 
receiving the Lord. And I just kind of interrupted. We just had an all-out ministry time on that time. And I walked up to him. These two or three young people are praying for him. And they said, hey, can we pray for your eyes? And I, I was in front of him. I said, why don't you take off your sunglasses so, you know, we can pray for your eyes. He took them off, and his eyes were milky, and they were all disorbited. And as they began to pray for him, I was there. Like I saw this. His eyes totally cleared up and became focused. And he began to weep again, this time crying, I can see light. I can see light. And every Sunday, every service we have, he's been there. And every time he's receiving more and more clarity, he doesn't come with his cane or with his sunglasses. These are like 15-year-olds that prayed for him. If you want to see what you've never seen, you have to be willing to do what you've never done before. I may never get to the third point. That's okay. After about a year of being in Chile, had another team come down from the States. There was a young guy who was 16 years old. His name is Paul. Paul Kelly from Muncie, Indiana. And... Uh, and we had so many churches that wanted to have pastors and preachers. We didn't have enough to go around. So I was coordinating this effort. And I came up to Paul about the last day and said, Paul, we got a church five hours from here that's asking for somebody to go preach. I don't have any more preachers. You're going to go. And he looked at me and says, I don't know. I've never, I've never even taught Sunday school. I said, this doesn't make any difference. And I said, here's your bus tickets. I took him over to the bus. I explained on the way. I said, you've got two young guys in the bus terminal. It's going to wait on you. You're easy to recognize. You're a gringo. So they're going to meet you, and they're going to run with you just in time to get to the meeting place, and you're going to preach. There's going to be an interpreter there. Don't worry. He said, worry. I don't I said, here's your bus tickets. It is literally the last scene I have of him in my mind is his nose pressed up against the window like this. Like, help. And, and, and he said, what am I going to do? I said, I don't know yet. Five hours. God's going to tell you what to say. So he gets there and, he, and, and, he, and the, the, the guys are meeting him. They run with him over this meeting place. About 60 people with a light bulb hanging in the middle of the room. The only problem with logistics is the interpreter never showed up. Nobody knew English well enough to interpret. So Paul's furious, furious, I'm going to kill Roger and all this stuff. And, and, and the people are just looking at him like, you know, preach, preach. And, and he sat and sat, and they waited and waited and waited. They're used to waiting in Chile. So they waited and waited and waited. The interpreter never showed up. And so Paul says, if I came 6,000 miles to be in this place to preach, I'm going to preach. He got up, preached about 10 minutes in English. Nobody understood a word. Closed his Bible. He was more than ticked. And all at once, an elderly man comes up from the very back, shuffling his feet, gone down the aisle, and looks at Paul, makes signs that he's deaf, and then looks at Paul and makes motions like, pray for me. Paul was petrified, never prayed for anybody before. And before he could even say no, the guy literally took his hand and put it on his forehead. Paul said it was the longest prayer he ever prayed in his entire life because he knew nothing was going to happen. But in the middle of his prayer, God interrupted him. And God totally healed that man. That man began to weep, turn around, and share with everybody. He received his healing. And all kinds of things broke loose. Now, if a guy that doesn't even know the language never preached before, never prayed for somebody, but availed himself. What excuse do you have? 
being an offering, an offering, putting it on the altar, moment after moment. Where are you gone, Dad? Can I go? This one keeps it burning. It's a daily offering. It's a daily offering. Your prayers of an immature Christian are God, oh God, forgive me. Oh God, never again. Oh God, bless me. Bless me. Touch me, God. That's the prayer of an immature Christian. The prayer of a mature Christian is, God, forgive me. Touch me. Here am I. Here am I. Is coming and going. The second thing about keeping the fire going is that the priest had to take the ashes off the altar. I could go on a long story about that, but it's just basically those that are familiar with chimney fires or wood fires know that the ashes have to be taken out. If not, it'll smother the fire, right? Paul says this in Philippians, one thing I do, that's forgetting what lays behind. And now I'm stretching forth to what he's called me to be and to do. To the goal that's laid before me. Paul had a lot of things to forget, like killing Christians. I mean, that wasn't an easy one to get over with. It wasn't an easy thing for him to think about some of the church plant failures where there'd be such a hunger for God and such a move for God, he just, just impulsively said, say, okay, you be an elder. Yeah, you be, come over with me. Let me put my hands on you. You're it. And then he would write to Timothy, don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, he had a lot of failures. But you will never, ever enjoy the present or dream of the future. Until you get over looking over your shoulder in the past. To keep the fire going, you have to take out the ashes. Mm. And when they took them out, the Bible says that the priest put them in a holy place, a consecrated place. There's only one place for the ashes of your past. And that's the foot of the cross. Hmm. I know this doesn't happen here, Adam. It only happens in my church. I've got people that have burned out every counselor I have. They just keep constantly going back for more inner healing. Trying to, I don't know raise up the dead man. I don't know what it is, but it's just, you know, and when they can't get it from here, they'll go to somebody else. And some of them even then begin to change churches because they will not let go of the past. And they live in bondage and they lose the fire. And it doesn't make any difference how deep, how awful, scars are of the past. When Jesus came up out of the Jordan, the heavens were split open with violence and God was saying, enough. Galatians 5 has become one of my favorite verses in the last year. That Jesus Christ has freed us so that we may live in freedom. I'm translating this from Spanish. So that we may not go back to the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery is not just some repeated sin like pornographic stuff in our life or other sins. It's more than that. The yoke of slavery is guilt, it's shame, it's condemnation, it's frustration. 
Jesus Christ came to not only forgive my sin, but to release me from my past. All guilt, all shame, all condemnation, all frustration. I am new and I've been freed. And to keep the fire burning, you got to take the ashes out and begin to believe what Jesus did on the cross. With so many unbelieving believers. And the third thing to keep the fire burning is that the priest kept the wood on the fire day and night. And I'll just say this. That's a long one itself. Wood to me is the words that God has spoken over you. The prophetic words that he's given to you. The promises that where you have in your Bible written, wow, I don't know how you do it. Maybe you just underlined a little bit. But there are many mornings, some mornings anyhow, when I'm up and I'm sitting alone, still in darkness in my living room, in my favorite chair with coffee. Without coffee, no man shall see God. That's the way I believe, you know. In the morning, when I'm there, and I'm alone, and I'm bringing some of my stuff to God, or I'm just saying, God, you know, I'm, I'm up. I want to keep you company this morning. And it's those mornings where God just, wow, a word comes out to me. They're not all the time, every day, sometimes. But when it comes, I get my red pen and I write in my margin, wow, sometimes even say it, wow. It's those wow words, the promises, the prophetic words that keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. I could talk a lot about discouragements. And that's the major overhaul of the enemy against us. I tell my wife, it doesn't take me long to get discouraged. Give me about 15 minutes and I can get really discouraged. Looking at what God has not done. Instead of looking at what he is doing. But when I go back and I feel symptoms of discouragement, like a cold symptom, when I sense discouragement coming on, I go back to the wild words. Take a piece of wood, put it on the altar, and the fire begins to blaze again. Amen? I was in Spain about a month ago in a, a resort area suffering for Christ. It was awful. <laughs> I was speaking at a conference under three apostles there. Some that shared the platforms with Cindy Jacob and Peter Wagner and others. These guys were just, they were awesome to listen to and see God move. And, um, I was holding my own, doing okay. God was using me. <laughs> but the last night I got into this discouragement, like, oh, God, what am I doing here? You know? And uh, I had to go out and take a walk. Because I'm learning to recognize quicker these symptoms. And I took my prayer journal with me. It has all these words, a lot of words that God gives me. Just gone through that. Just, I came back. And about like five minutes before the service, the pastor that was organizing the conference says, I need to talk to you. Yeah. He says, there's something about you. I thought, oh, no. So I was supposed to close the conference. And he says, this morning, I've, I've been playing soccer. He said, two weeks ago, I sprung my, my, my hand, my wrist. He says, you just walked by me and the Lord healed my hand. 
this is something on you. I go, yeah. <laughs> and just going over and over and over this words, God is, when I believe this, not just because Bill Johnson says this, I literally, when I walk into a room, the environment changes. Not because of me, but because of he that's on me and in me. Hmm. I'll close with this. Is this the second time I've said that? Oh, first time, first time, yeah. I was in Africa when Adam and Heather were in Chile. Thank you so much for sending them. It's such a blessing. I'm saying that so you can raise an offering to send them again, okay? Really, we'd love to have them come. And um, when I was in Africa while they were in Chile, I heard this little African guy. You're so cute. You know, very, very small. And their English is, but it's great to hear them. They're very simple preachers, but very powerful. And he was saying this. He was all animated, saying, and the lion, the lion, he doesn't need anyone to defend them. You just open the door and let him go. I don't know if you got that. The Lion of Judah in you doesn't need to be defended. You just got to open the door and let him go. He's seeking an offering. You want to see the fire burn? Go for it. Where are you going, Dad? go and everything you see the father do is supernatural it blow the doors off of anything you've ever imagined how about standing up the worship team is coming you're at right now, I just want you to close your eyes and if you'd like to kind of extend your hands out before you. If you haven't got this yet, your wood is pretty wet. There's some fire here already this morning. Heavens are open. Jesus tore a moment. And Holy Spirit is descending. He's looking for a place to reside, to be permanent. Every time in the Old Testament an offering was given up to God, God's response was by fire. Fire. Is there someone here today? wants to change their prayer from oh God bless me God forgive me to God here am I where you gone dad scares me silly to avail myself to you it's scary takes a lot of courage until I realize it has nothing to do with me, but everything with releasing the lion that's in me. Come on! Who wants to place their life again on the altar, not just for a touch, but to say, Lord, here am I. Here am I. Here am I. Here am I. It's the response 
did Isaiah had when he heard the Lord say, Who will go for us? And whom shall I send? Hmm. If God is speaking to you, come on. I want you to come up front as if it were an altar. I don't want you to say, Here am I, God. Hmm. It's not asking for anything. It's offering everything. Come on. Come on. I believe the vision that God gave this church was not to be another church in the community, but a church that would impact the city, a church that would penetrate into the university, a church that would not hope to touch a few people, but to see the heavens open up over the city, to see the kingdom of God come. You are his answer. You are his answer. Those that are up front, I'm going to ask you to take another step forward because we're going to make room for those that still haven't come. I haven't come here today to see how many people are going to come forward. That's already resolved in my heart. I came with a message from God for you. He's seeking an offering. He's seeking an offering because the fire he's already lit. Come on, come on, come on. The Lord is speaking to you. Come on. I'm going to ask the pastors. You help us minister. Just we're just going to bless our hands on you and bless what God is doing. I'm going to ask for fire. Fire. Fire that would consume, that would obsess us. Fire that won't go out. Fire that would transform and change us. More and more like him. Come on, God. Go! 